like to welcome to the Pod MD studio Dr. Manuja Premaratna. Manuja is one of Australia's most well trained and highly qualified non interventional cardiologists, being one of the few experts in all cardiac imaging modalities. He undertook his medical training at the University of Queensland. He completed his cardiology training at Wollongong and Prince of Wales Hospitals in New South Wales and an echocardiography fellowship at the Prince of Wales Hospital, one of Australia's busiest units. This was followed by a two-year advanced cardiac imaging fellowship at world-renowned University of Ottawa Heart Institute. He is one of only 10 Australian cardiologists to be granted the United States Board Certification in Cardiac CT. He has received awards from the American College of Cardiology and the American Society of Nuclear Cardiology as one of the top researchers in the USA and Canada in cardiac imaging. Today we'll be discussing the topic of chest pain, the best test for the right patient. We do hope you enjoy this podcast, but please remember that the advice here is of a general nature and is not intended as specific advice about a given patient. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the doctor, not PodMD. If you do have a patient on whom you require specific advice, then please seek advice from a colleague with appropriate expertise in that area. Manuja, thanks for talking with us on PodMD today. Great to be here. The topic of today's discussion is chest pain, the best test for the right patient. Manuja, can you describe how a typical patient would present with chest pain? Sure. Look, um, so look, one of the main things is chest pain is very common um, uh, in terms of presentations to emergency departments, and it's one of the commonest things we deal with as cardiologists. The sort of broad classification with chest pain is that there are two kinds we, we call acute and stable. Uh, the acute chest pain is the patient who comes to ED, uh, stable chest pain is the patient who presents to the, you know, the family doctor or to us in a clinic setting. So when you say someone is like the typical chest pain, uh, so the broad sort of picture that we have in what we're all taught in sort of the textbooks is the patient with chest pain or chest heaviness, like an elephant sitting on my chest or a brick on my chest. And the pain goes down the arm or up the neck. Um, So that's what we usually think of as a sort of typical sort of chest pain. Uh, These days, what we've also learned through research over the last few years is that certain patients present differently to that sort of typical picture. So, for example, female patients can have tiredness and fatigue and they can often uh, have sort of triggers of like emotional sort of stress and events. Or often you have patients with diabetes who don't get that sort of central sort of chest tightness or, you know, and so they have their chest pain is indifferent. So it, it is, while that is the predominant picture, that central chest tightness and heaviness going down the arm or neck, there are other sort of pictures we need to keep in mind. What are the most common causes of chest pain? So... Look, the most the common cause of chest pain, from, so from a heart point of view, what we're worried about is ischemic heart disease, so cholesterol uh, blockages in our in our arteries. So that's the and ischemic heart disease costs like you know they lead the Heart Foundation statistics show that fifty people die of heart disease every day, and then it costs the economy like five billion dollars a year. So um, so it is ischemic heart disease is one of the most commonest causes of chest pain. 
Uh, the other things uh, you can have are like things like musculoskeletal chest pain is very common. Reflux is a common cause of chest pain. Uh, but often what we like to do is to rule out the rule out ischemic heart disease first as that's the most serious uh, chest pain. Uh, the other sort of serious cause of chest pain that can be an emergency sort of presentation are pulmonary embolus, so a clot in the lungs. You can have aortic dissections or a tear in the aorta, uh, but those are rare uh, causes, but those are the causes that can lead to, if you're suspicious, suspecting them, you need to keep them top of mind. But the commonest causes are ischemic heart disease, you can gastroesophageal reflux. So those are the sort of top two sort of causes, abdominal and cardiac. Can you provide an overview of the different diagnostic tests available for evaluating chest pain? Sure. So look, the broad classification of these tests are what we call functional and anatomical. Um, what I prefer, so when I teach medical students, I say the way we, the way I like to think about it is in terms of uh, one, class, one side gives us a direct visualization of the arteries and if there's any atherosclerosis and the other sort of test, the functional test, it lets us, gives us a likelihood of the likelihood of the presence of a significant stenosis. So, so anatomical tests is like a, what we call a CT coronary angiogram. So that's where you inject dye into the patient and then you have an outline of the arteries and you can see if there's any cholesterol buildup. Functional testing is when you put a patient on a treadmill, you put in the heart under stress you, and you're either looking for abnormal wall motion, so on an echo, where the way the abnormal heart movement, or abnormal blood flow, as in with nuclear perfusion. So those are the two broad sort of classifications, like anatomical and functional. Could you explain the importance of choosing the right test for diagnosing chest pain? Sure. Look, it is a it is an important question, both in terms of for the for the clinician in terms of getting the right answer, but also for the patient in terms of having an answer, giving an answer to what's what's wrong with them. So, <clears throat> when you look at the main thing that I would prefer to think about is in terms of what would make what would give you a bad result or actually, you know, not a proper answer. So, for the perfect CT coronary angiogram. First important thing is because it involves injection of contrast, is the patient uh, allergic to um, iodine-based contrast? Um, or And how is their renal function? Because contrast affects the kidneys, so usually we use a cutoff as EGFR of 30. So usually we like to have a renal function that's within three months, if, if it's close to 30, just to see what it is. The other things for a perfect CT coronary angiogram that you want is a heart rate close to 60. So can they take beta blockers? It's very important to hold your breath to get the lungs out of the way. So can they hold their breath for a few seconds? Um, so those, so that's what uh, generally makes a good CT coronary angiogram. For a good stress echo, so most important thing is can they, if you're sending them for a treadmill-based test, do they have, uh, make sure they don't have any like osteoarthritis of the knees or the back that precludes exercise. Because um, we, we like to, these patients to go for at least 10 minutes uh, if they, uh, if they, if to get a good assessment of their heart rate. And if you're using stress echo, so ultrasound, making sure that you're not sending a patient who's morbidly obese because the ultrasound wave has to go through all that fat, go to the heart and then come back out. So the more fat there is, the more degradation of the signal and the less clear the image is. And for a perfusion scan, nuclear stress, we generally, because it involves radiation and uh, uh, we don't like to do it in younger patients. So, so generally I like to do a CT coronary angiogram first uh, because it gives a visualization of the arteries. I can see what's going on in there. And if there's any atherosclerosis, it gives me a chance to start treatment. Versus the other test, the functional test, 
Sure, it gives me uh, the likelihood of a significant blockage, but it doesn't give me any information about is there any cholesterol buildup. Have there been any developments in testing in the last few years or are there any trials in development now? So good question in terms of the evidence base. So the evidence base has advanced a lot uh, for CT coronary angiography. So in 2018, we had a study uh, called the Scott Hart trial. So that's where they looked, it was a randomized control trial in Scotland where they looked at CT coronary angiography versus the standard of care, which was comparing it to exercise treadmill. And so what they showed was patients with a CT, who had a CT scan to investigate their symptoms of angina, actually had a mortality benefit. So, uh, And so it was a very positive outcome for CT coronary angiography. So that has changed. Uh, and that the and so the increasing evidence base for CTCA has led it to be classified as first line alongside stress echo and stress MIBI in terms of as first line investigations for chest pain. So, so the American College of Cardiology and all the other important societies in the world, they came out with the chest pain guideline in 2021 that showed CTCA is first line. And, and so that was one of the main um, pluses for CTCA in terms of evidence. The other thing is the National Health Service, so the NICE guidelines in the UK, in 2016, they were ahead of the curve and they made CTCA first line for chest pain, um, CTCA first line compared to and made functional testing second line. So, so those are the and so there's a so those are the two main sort of big things because CTCA is relatively new compared to stress echo and nuclear scanning. So nuclear scanning and stress echo have been there since the 19. Uh, nuclear imaging has been there since the 80s and stress echo has certainly been there since the late 80s and early 90s so ctca is a relatively new kid like it's only been the scanner technology has only made it practical since the mid-2000s so that's why most of the newer evidence is focused towards ctcas how do non-invasive tests like ct coronary angiograms ecgs and stress tests compare to more invasive procedures like cardiac catheterization in terms of diagnosing chest pain? Sure. So ideally you would do it, like everyone would have a, an invasive angiogram because that's the sort of, the, what we say, the gold standard. But it is a test that is invasive. It involves making a puncture, you know, putting a, you know, cutting the skin, making a punk hole in an artery, putting a tube in, and you're putting a tube in, you know, into the heart. So it's a test that has significant risks in terms of, you know, risks of stroke, risks of bleeding. So that's what, so that's why finding the non-invasive test that's good is very important. So I find CTCA is the closest in terms of to invasive coronary angiography in terms of it lets you visualize the actual cholesterol inside uh, versus stress testing uh, which doesn't uh, so stress testing will not give you an idea if someone has any atherosclerosis so at least with the ct coronary angiogram even if there's a little bit i can tell the patient look you have mild non-obstructive coronary artery disease we should treat it because the evidence shows that that even that mild disease can cause you trouble down the line how do you approach the challenge of diagnosing chest pain in patients with atypical symptoms so Good question. Atypical symptoms do present a significant proportion of our practice. And this is where I find CT coronary angiography so useful. Um, I the, the CT coronary angiography with the injection of the dye gives you a complete outline of their coronary artery tree. So if they have a significant blockage, then you've picked it up. 
if they don't have a significant blockage and they have mild disease, it's still positive news, I tell the patient, because that means, okay, you need to be on cholesterol treatment. We need to control your risk factors. We need to make sure that this mild disease stays mild. So for atypical symptoms, I find CT coronary angiography has been, is very helpful and I would recommend it as first line for everyone out there. When should a GP refer? So good question in terms of when to refer. So I would generally say anyone with chest pain, um, you should refer, right? But the other thing is when someone presents with chest pain, I, I usually find that it gives you an opportunistic sort of uh, uh, a chance to address other risk factors. You know, let's, So when someone comes in to see me with chest pain, I check their cholesterol. I say, let's do your lipids. Let's let's check your blood pressure, and then let's check your BMI. So it gives me. So I would. Uh, so I would say you should refer patients with chest pain to get it investigated because it could be something serious. Rule out something serious, but it also gives you a good chance to look at all the other risk factors. You know, check their cholesterol, check their blood pressure, and check their BMI, and give a, it gives you a chance to talk to the patient. You know, to address these other risk factors. What role does the GP play in the treatment of the condition? Look, I would say our GP colleagues are one of the most important parts of the in the patient care for the patient with chest pain because they're the first point of contact and are, and they're the main point of contact. So um, I would say, look, the important roles are in terms of recognizing uh, the patient with chest pain and then also sending them through to um, you know referring them to for the test. Now, unfortunately. The current Medicare rules means that GPs can't order a bulk bill CTCA, but you can still order a patient a CTCA. It just involves an out-of-pocket cost. So, uh, so recognizing the patient with chest pain, organizing the test, referring as appropriate, and then also following on, let's say, if there is non-obstructive coronary artery disease on that CTCA, making sure that their LDL is well-controlled, checking their risk factors such as hypertension, keeping a control on things like obesity. I find obesity these days is a big part of my practice in terms of I find it controlling obesity means that the cholesterol comes down, blood pressure gets uh, comes down. So it's one of that sort of central player that has a lot of tentacles in terms of control sleep apnea. So I so I, I find, uh, so that's what I'm telling patients these days, you know, so it's all finding someone with chest pain gives you the chance not just to diagnose the cause of the chest pain, but also to check out other risk factors. So I would say those are the, that's why the general practitioner is so important because as the main person of patient contact. Thank you for your time here today in the PodMD studio. To sum up for us, could you please identify the three key take-home messages from today's podcast on chest pain, the best test for the right patient? Sure, thank you. Um, so I would say, look, the, the three most important, point number one, I would say chest pain can be serious um, and serious causes, but there are tests and the CT coronary angiogram is your best friend in terms of ruling out serious causes. And even in when you rule out a serious causes, even if it can still give you good information in terms of non-obstructive coronary artery disease and treating that. Uh, number two, I would say the important thing with regarding to choosing a test is to keep in mind contraindications. So with CTs, remember patients' renal function and also whether they have allergy to contrast and the with the stress echo, making sure that the patient is not obese to making sure for so we can get a clear picture. And number three, the uh, I would say is the opportunistic uh, time to address risk factors. So talking to the patient about 
you know, let's check your cholesterol, let's check your blood pressure, and let's check your BMI. So, you know, that opportunistic chance to address other risk factors. Thanks again for your time and the insights you've provided. Thank you for having me. It's been great being here. 